for today's message and a portion will be for next week's message as well as Psalms 139 verses 13 through 16. And our message is entitled, A Cherished Life. A Cherished Life. Since God is the one who gives life, he is the only one with the authority to take life. Since God is the only one who gives life, he is the only one with the authority to take life. The key then is not how I feel or how you feel about life, but what God declares about life and death. And one thing we know as children of the Most High God is that God cherishes what he creates. God cherishes what he creates. Sadly, four out of ten women who abort their baby were attending church regularly at the time of their abortion. See, we sometimes think that this concept of abortion is something for unbelievers. It's not for people who know the Lord, but the statistics show us that is not true. We have heard about God, we have professed God, but we still think we have the authority to take life. We still believe we have the authority over life and death. A well-recognized professor at a famous medical school proposed to his class an ethical question. The professor said, suppose you were to give advice to expecting parents. And one particular parent group, the mother has TB. The father has syphilis. They have four children. One is blind, one has died, one had TB, and one is deaf. The mother is informed that she is pregnant again. The mother and father come to you and want to know if they should have an abortion. What advice would you give them? Now this professor asked all his students in his class and these were kids at a very uh, high school and he said, what would be your advice to these parents? They have one deaf, one with TB, one has died, one is blind. Every group advised the parents to have an abortion. Now with that decision, they would have aborted the famous composer, Beethoven. Because in their minds, they have the right to decide who lives and dies. And because they got a blind child, because they have a deaf one, because they have a dead one, now they believe they have the authority and the right to abort this new life. This morning, we're going to address just one point, personal and precise life. So let's dig into our text and we find these words in verse 13, for you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. Psalms 139, without question, the subject of 139 is not the creation, but the creator. 
We're going to break these verses down because we're going to hurt them a lot of time. And like us as usually, we start focusing on what's not the focus. The focus is not the baby. The focus is the creator. Amen, amen, amen. It is an extended and exquisite celebration of God. Amen, amen, amen. You guys going to start getting amen. I'm going to be cheerleading all day today. The first 18 verses may be outlined as follows. Verses 1 through 6 declares that God is omnipotent, I mean omniscient, that is all-knowing. Verses 7 and 12 declares God is omnipresent, he's everywhere. And verses 13 and 18 declares God is omnipotent, all-powerful. So all of these verses are dealing with God. All of these verses are dealing with his attributes. All of these verses are saying he is worthy to be praised. Don't take your focus off of him. Because it's all about him. God is the creator of life. Genesis 1, 26, 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female. There is no third category. But once again, we believe that we have the right to come up with a third category. God cherishes that life even before the child is born. Well, you say, well, how do you come up with this? This is something new. I was doing some research, and there was one person who was in a high position, we'll say, hmm, a president of the United States. And this person said, that's above my pay scale to say when life begins. Google that, and you'll find out who the person was. Exodus 21, 22 through 25. I love this. If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fine as a woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judges decide. But if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and a hand for a hand, and a foot for a foot. That means that if you attacked a woman who was pregnant, who had not yet given birth, and that baby died, your life was required. We sit up here trying to figure out stuff, and God said, I don't even told you what the issue is. Mm. Created things have a creator. All of creation, all of nature, including us, was once a thought in the mind of the creator, in the mind of God. We existed in God's minds before we were born. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. You and I are here because God wants us to be here. The psalmist declares, you wove me in my mother's womb. The you is the emphatic to show that it is God who is doing the forming. It is God who is to be praised. God is so good that he allows us to be a part of the miracle, but don't think you are it. He says, I allowed you to be a part of my son, Jesus Christ, coming in there. But don't focus on Mary. Focus on me. Yes. 
We are constantly taking the focus off. We are constantly giving the praise where it does not belong. Human life is a gift that should be celebrated and protected. Our life was formed by God. Now this word form means to cut, to frame, or fashion. But it has a secondary as well of buying or purchasing. Since he is the creator, he has ownership rights over us. He cherishes us because he created us, because he has fashioned us after himself. The birds, the elephants, the dog, the cat was not formed or fashioned in the image of God. Only men and women were formed in the fashion of God. So God says, since I am the owner of that that I have created, I tell you what to do with this life that you have. Not you. Not that you're so educated, you're so smart, you're so this. And God says, I've already said, when life begins and when life ends. The picture of God knitting the child together in the womb is such a great picture of the intimate interest that God takes in our lives. This aptly describes a marvelous weaving of the muscles, sinews, ligaments, nerves, blood vessels, bones of the human frame. God wove us like a tapestry. Each of us is fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. He does not cherish us. Listen, he does not cherish us because of our gender, because of our skin color, because we have 10 fingers, because we have 10 toes, because we have a quality of life. He cherishes us because we are made in his image. He doesn't cherish you more because you're a female or you're a man or you're black or you're white. He doesn't cherish you more because you got 10 fingers. And see, we know that we say, oh, yeah, I understand that, I understand that. We're going to see that we really don't understand this. Each child is valuable to God, is cherished by God, because God is is the creator. Our life is a personal work. God made us just the way he wanted you to be. In his image, that speaks to our uniqueness. As believers, God clearly teaches that life begins at conception. You remember when we had the birth of Christ? We said it's not the immaculate birth. It is the immaculate conception. John the Baptist leaped into his mother while he was still in Elizabeth's womb. Mary is told that you already have a child. She already tells them what his name is going to be. And that wasn't the birth. That was the conception. The moment the Holy Spirit came, life had begun. Because now Jesus is going to come. So it seems like as believers, we would understand these principles. But as believers, we're seeing that there's a big struggle still in the church. Because there are still churches today made up of believers who don't believe that? Since January 22nd, 1973, after the landmark case, Roe versus Wade, that during the first six months of pregnancy, the decision to whether to abort a baby should be left to the mother and her physician. 
That Supreme Court decision has been dis has caused great damage to the United States. Since 1973, between 61 to 64 million babies have been aborted in the United States alone. That's a combined population of 26 states in the United States. About one abortion is performed every 20 seconds. So one church had a little gong going every 20 seconds. That was another baby that was aborted. 1.4 billion worldwide since 1980. China has 336 million abortions since 1980 that are recorded. That's equal to the combined population of the United States and Australia. When you start hearing these numbers, they are staggering. And for the most part, the church has been quiet. Someone said 99% of all murders in the United States are abortions. Because see, when we hear that 1.3 or 1.4 million babies aborted in the United States, we start saying, but that ain't nothing compared to all the homicide and all the police brutality. Really? Really? 2018 and 2019, I think the number of police brutality cases were down under 20. Compare that to 1.4 million or 1.3 million babies that were aborted. And we're marching, protesting, crying, whining, and then when it comes to this, silence. Silence. In all the wars the United States have been in, the Revolutionary War, the American Civil War, World War I, World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War, could be conflict war, 55,000 in Vietnam, and all the other conflicts that we've had, it comes to somewhere between 1.3 and 1.4 million. And we just said 1.3 million babies are aborted every year. The combined all the wars we've been in don't equal one year of abortions. And we say nothing. We say it's not a big issue. We say it's a political issue. It's not a political issue. It is a biblical issue. I don't care if you're elephant, donkey, in-between animal, I don't care what you are. How are you going to say this is not a biblical issue? And why is it not resonating with believers? 45 times the number of all Americans lost in all our wars. Someone said the greatest war today is taking place in the womb. Every year, at least, give or take 1.5 million unborn babies are aborted in the United States. Nearly one third of babies conceived in the United States is aborted. Just take that number in your head. So if you know three people are pregnant, there's a good chance that one of them is going to be aborted. These numbers should have us crying. Nearly 90% of women seeking abortions do so 
strictly as a matter of convenience. Now, we know that there's incest. We know that there's rape. We know that the mother's life could be in jeopardy. The highest total possible is 10%, and that's high. Because the rates are somewhere around 1% or 2%. But that's what's going to be thrown out by the media. What about the one who's raped? What about the one about this? You're looking at 1%. And here we go as believers. Yeah, 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 yeah. What about them? What about them? What about them? Once again, fooling you and playing with you. So you'll focus on this and not focus on the fact that 90% give these reasons for why they had an abortion. I'm too young, not ready, financial difficulties is going to affect my relationship with the baby's father. And if any of you know of anyone who's had an abortion, if you had one yourself, more than likely one of those are the reason why you got one. It wasn't because your life was in jeopardy. More likely it wasn't because you were raped. More than likely it wasn't because of incest. It was one of these 90%. Women who have abortions are 65% more likely to experience clinical depression than those who carry the term, baby to term. That ain't going to be promoted. It's going to be told you, you have that abortion, all your problems are going to be gone. You won't have any more. Everything will be great. And then the statistics are showing these women are in depression because, once again, now they're feeling guilt. Now, once again, they're saying, oh, I did something wrong. Now, once again, they're thinking, man, my child would have been five now. My child would have been 10 years. I wonder what he would have looked like now. All those things are now bombarding on you. And there's no one there to talk you through it. Because that agency that did it, that Planned Parenthood, whoever may have done the abortion, they're not holding your hand through it. Because in their mind, you don't have anything to be healed of. Because you've done nothing wrong. The church isn't healing you because the church don't know. Hmm. Sadly, abortion has essentially become the ultimate form of birth control. Sadly, in many cases, the father encourages and in some cases forces a mother to terminate a pregnancy or worse yet, take the cowardly way out. It's up to you. I'll do whatever you want. To do. So those men are the cowards and the punks. But some of you say, man, he's being harsh today. He's he stepping on toes. Good. Because toes need to be stepped on. We need to understand it is not the mother's decision. If you done had this child with this man, then that mother and that father needs to make the decision together, and we know what the decisions should be. Rick Easels put it this way. It has come to the time where the most dangerous place to be in America is not in the inner city, where gangs threaten innocent lives, or in angry prisons where only the fit survive. The most dangerous place to live is in the womb of a mother who is being told if she doesn't really want the baby, an abortion is the solution. Sometimes we're going to be put in positions where someone's going to come to us and ask us for our opinion or our advice, and what are we going to say? Are we going to foolishly say, well, you know, it's up to you. You do what you think is best for you. I'm not going to judge you. And my response is, I'm not going to judge you, but God's going to judge you. Especially if you are professing 
believer. So then he says, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Our life is a precise work by God. David burst forth in praise to the Lord in verse 14. The words wonderfully and wonderful are mindful of God's marvelous knowledge. Wonderful are his works. David is not looking in the mirror and saying, look at how wonderful I am. He's not looking in the mirror and saying, look at how good I look. He's looking in the mirror and saying, I am wonderfully and fearfully made by you, God, in your image. My soul knows of your works. What works is he talking about? The works of forming you in your mother's womb. You once again ain't looking in the mirror talking about how good you look. But that's how sadly believers are now. They're running around talking about how good they look. You and I are wonderful because of who made us and how he made us. That's where the focus is, not on us. God fearfully or reverently made us in his very own image Mankind is the pinnacle of God's creation. When he made the earth in Genesis, he said, this is good. Then he made something else and said, this is very good. When he made man, he said, this is very, 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 very good. Not because Adam was all that, not because Eve was all that, but it was what he had made in his own image. And God is looking and saying, look at what I have made. I can make the mountains, I can make the trees, I can make the birds. But when I look at this man, when I look at this woman, they're made in my image. They are body, soul, spirit, and mind. And he already knows my son is going to be the only way that they can be saved. Now you can have your favorite dog, you can have your favorite cat, you can have your favorite fish. That animal is not made in the image of God. That animal does not have a spirit like we have. And they are not in need of a savior like we are. Hmm. At times, we may look in the mirror and we might not like what we see. We don't feel so fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm too short. I'm too tall, I'm too skinny, I'm too fat. We need to remember we have been fearfully and reverently made in the image of the almighty God. It's not about what we look like, but that we are made in God's image. And we keep hearing me say this over and over because we need to hear it over and over. The more we think of the marvels of the human body, the more we think of how blessed we are to be made in the image of God, the praises from us, the creations, should be flowing to the creator. When was the last time you looked in the mirror and gave praise to God, not because you had 10 fingers, not because you had two eyes that you could see, not because you could walk, just the fact that you're made in the image of God. 
You wouldn't have people running around talking about I got low self-esteem. You wouldn't have people running around not having clinical depression but depression. Because they're having depression because they focus on what they're not instead of what they are. We are wonderfully made. It's amazing that David wrote these words in the days before man could see the great wonders inside of the body, before there were microscopes, before there were ultrasounds. David is talking about how we are wonderfully made. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, it is as if God painted the human body with a needle. Just imagine painting with a needle. Imagine the minute detail of every stroke. When we look at all the intricacies of our human body, it is just further proof that there is a God. When we began to lower these verses down to what we look like, now it's no wonder that abortions are increasing because medicine now may tell you this child is going to be physically deformed. This child is going to be born blind. This child is going to be born that they're going to spend all of their life in a hospital. And then we begin to use our great minds and start saying, well, they're not going to have a good quality of life. They're not perfect like my little child. How many of us, and I don't want you to answer because I don't want you to lie in the congregation in the sanctuary. How many of us, if we were there that day when our child was born, and that child was born with some type of defect, would we be singing Psalms 139 and 14? We might sing it when the child came out the way we wanted it to come out, looking the way we wanted to. Then we go into Psalms 139, 13, 14. Oh, they're wonderfully and fearfully made. But would you still say that if the child didn't come out the way you thought it should come out? And we know most of us, the answer is no. We sung those praises of 139.14 because the child came out the way we thought it should come out. We quote these verses not with the context of Psalms, but with our own fleshly selfishness. Because I'm going to praise God if they got one leg, two leg, no leg. Remember when we were going through adoption, they, at that time they were still having what they call adoption parties and stuff. And, you know, and they were saying, well, you know, what kind of child do you want? So you can sit there and tell them, I want one that's got parents that are going to make them eight feet tall so they can make money for me in basketball. I want one that can do this and that. And I told them they probably thought I was crazy and stupid. I said, I don't really have no requirements for what I want. If the child is born, I'm willing to take the child. The standard was a little higher for you, Bryce, the way up here. But, but... <laughs> Whatever the child is going to be. We almost adopted two little girls who had mental handicaps. We knew they had mental handicaps. We said, hey, they're children. We will, we'll adopt them. Now, their foster parent end up keeping them. But I'm saying, I'm not going to pick one that they got curly hair, this one got dark eyes. Really? If I understand Psalms 139, I know this child is one of God's creation. He needs to be loved. I understand we're talking about the sanctity of human life. Well, the sanctity of human life is not perfection. 
Because we began to put value on if the person got some kind of ailment. You can have, quote, euthanasia, right to die, all these issues. All these issues come back to the sanctity of life. Why is it easier to kill a baby or a person who has some defect? Because that's an indication of what your definition of sanctity of life is. So it's not just the little babies. It's what we do with those who become bigger. Because even that person who's going to end up doing horrible things, that's still the sanctity of life. Well, you say, well, Pastor Daniel, how does, how does the Bible talk about somebody getting murdered? What did we say before? God is the only one who has the authority to save life and death. He told you in Exodus that if you killed a, a, a lady who was pregnant and you killed the baby, what did he say? You die. Why can't he say that? Because he's the only one who has authority of right and life and death. You see all over in the Old Testament, God would tell his people to go to battle. He said, kill everybody, young and old. He didn't commit a sin. So he's the one who can determine right and wrong, life and death. We are wonderfully, means distinct, unique, separate, amazing. God says you're going to all be in my image, but that does not mean you're all going to look alike physically. We're all unique. He has a plan for each and every one of us. God works are extraordinary, and they should elicit praise and thanksgiving from our hearts. There was a man named Charles McCary. He authored such books as The Tears of Autumn and The Last Supper. He also served as an assistant to the Secretary of Labor in Dwight Eisenhower administration. He also served two stints in the CIA, but he almost wasn't born. McCary said, my mother became pregnant with me at age 39. She had nearly died while giving birth to my only sibling. Her doctor, who believed the second pregnancy was a serious threat to her life, advised an abortion. The advice made sense, but my mother refused to accept it. Just before she died at the age of 97, I asked her why. Why did you not abort me? And her reply was, I wanted to see who you were going to turn out to be. I wanted to see who you were going to turn out to be. Now, us as believers, our mindset should be, I wanted to see why God made you. We talk about accidents. We talk about purpose. He made you for a purpose. When he thought about you before we even came and formed in our mother's womb, he already had a purpose. He tells Jeremiah, I had already sanctified you. I had already set you aside to be a prophet. And who are we to interfere with God's plans? So you know me, I said, well, that was good about Charles McCary, but I didn't really know him until I came across it in research. But I said, there are some people that I came across that some of the people here may have never known these individuals. Jesse Jackson was conceived out of statutory rape. His mother was a teenager. She was pressured to have an abortion, but God, she didn't. Cher, the singer, who's still singing 60-something years old, mother's initial decision was to abort her. But God, she didn't get aborted. Alveda King, niece of Martin Luther King Jr., mother wanted to abort Alveda, 
but her grandfather said he had a dream and saw her perfectly. Celine Dion, mother wanted to abort, but a parish priest convinced her not to. 50 Cent, the rapper, mother wanted to abort, but God said different. Jack Nicholson, mother initially brought the thought of abortion up, but God had another plan. When we began to think of the number of people who might not have been here if the abortion would have gone through, how much would this world have been different? We like listening to Beethoven and all the music they play, but if that mother decision would have been abortion, never would have heard it. That's when we began to play God. What about those children who might have had a defect, might have had Down syndrome, and somebody said, I don't want that child to have to live a life. And now you go talk to that parent 10, 15, 20 years later, and they say, that child has been the joy of our life. To see the smile come on his face, to see him hug me, to see him show me unconditional love, and just to think, I almost aborted him because it would have been convenient. When we think about life being cherished, we must first and foremost understand it is cherished by God. And anything he cherishes, don't ever think you have the right to destroy it. Don't ever think it. Don't ever think it. And the next time you see a person that has done something horrible, wicked, I still have to be of the mindset, no matter if they do good or if they do bad, that is a creation of God. That's a creation of God. And I must respect that. Because God makes no mistakes. God has no accidents. He cherishes us because he's God and he's our creator. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, as we just began to travel through these verses um, this Sunday. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for reminding us why Psalms 139 is written. Yes, we can be happy when we have babies and they come out, quote, as we say, perfect and with everything. But we are to cherish them and understand that they are wonderfully and fearfully made in your image. We pray for men, women, mothers, fathers who have made decisions that did not include you in the decision-making. We especially pray for those mothers and fathers who have made professions of faith that you are the one who is the author of life and death. You are the one of ownership of life and death. And they still made a decision that they would end life. Lord, allow them first and foremost to see that it wasn't a bad choice. It was a sinful choice. 
we don't have to ask for forgiveness and we don't need forgiveness for bad choices. We need forgiveness for sinful choices. And when we recognize it's a sinful choice, we recognize I did not have the right or the authority to make that decision when in your word you've already told me what that decision is to be. So Lord, we just ask that you forgive us. We ask that we be ready to speak up whenever you bring someone in our pathway. And we let them know it's not my opinion or your opinion, but it's your opinion, God. It's a fact, it's a truth, and that is what we must live by. So Lord, allow us to live in love, share love, but never allow us to dilute your love because we think that will make the person happy. Lord, we pray as a church um, that we do not be silent when it comes to these issues. Allow the world not to take this and say this is a political issue when we know it is a biblical issue. And the church should never, never give up this issue to the world. We should be speaking loudly, vociferously, boisterously, not whispering it as we're ashamed of it, but say it in love and boldness. Our God is the creator of life, and everything he creates, he cherishes. So, Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and we say all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.